True worship is not singing. True worship is prayer. You look in the New Testament, all the times God turned up was when they prayed. It wasn't when they sang because there's very few incidents in the New Testament where singing is involved. But most worship was always was around prayer, intense prayer. God always turned up in prayer. And as I was intently praying this morning, because I feel sense some, some burdens beginning to stir in my spirit, I'm really concerned for the church. I'm really concerned, when I say the church, I'm concerned for you. As a pastor, I want you to know I'm concerned for you. And that's what keeps my prayer clean and pure, because I'm concerned for you. I read this week in Acts chapter 20, that Paul, for three years, please repeat that back to me, how long? Night and day, please repeat that back to me. He said, for three years, night and day, I never stopped pleading with you with tears in my eyes for you. Paul said that. For three years, he was on at them about the same things. Night and day, with tears in his eyes, that there's going to be a day when I'm going to be taken. Paul saying, I won't be here forever and ever, amen. Now, I'm not saying that of me, but I'm saying, Paul was saying, there's going to be a time when I'm not going to be here, and wolves are going to get in amongst you. And at the end of the story, they cried, but they cried for the wrong things. They cried because Paul left. They should have cried when he said wolves are going to get in. The thing is, is when you get a burden of the spirit, you press it and press it and press it until you feel you've done all that you can to avert or to strengthen those that you're speaking to. And I find in my spirit, I'm doing this more and more that I keep going on about things. Carol says I'm a pain in the backside, if you, if, if you excuse that expression, because I'm like a dog in a bone, like I'm dog with a bone when I get something and I won't let it go until it's been said. Now, that is negative and positive. Yes? Anybody who's lived with me knows that's how pain that can, painful that can be if I don't feel I'm being heard. But the point is, God begins to speak to me. God begins to speak to me about your kingdom come. And I'm looking at it and thinking, that has to have a process. It's not enough just to be a statement. It has to have a process. And God said to me, just before Paul read his scripture, what brings, what precedes Christ being revealed? What precedes Christ being revealed is a proclamation. Without a proclamation, Christ cannot be revealed. So we have to determine what kind of proclamation will reveal Christ. Does that make sense? Christ isn't just revealed. Christ is revealed through proclamation. So we have to get our proclamation right so that the right kind of Christ can be revealed. Because we don't want a half-hearted aspect of Christ being revealed. We want the totality of Christ being revealed. But then this is what, when Paul read this scripture, it was an answer to my spirit. Because suddenly the Lord that you seek will turn up in a temple. But read the scripture, what did he say? There is a period of proclamation. Keep proclaiming, and then suddenly the Lord that you seek will, turn, will appear in the temple. So God cannot appear and be revealed without the proclamation. So you have to labor with me in the spirit as long as it takes for Christ to be revealed. Okay? So if I labor for th- night and day with tears in my eyes, warning you of the things that's coming, encouraging you about the things that we can do, I have to do it because until I do that, Christ can't be revealed and Christ can't suddenly appear in the temple. Does that make sense? I hope so. I can't say any clearer than that. Christ has to be revealed, but how? Ask yourself, how does Christ get revealed? We have to keep on dialoguing with him. And the more we keep dialoguing with him, he dialogues with us. And the more we di- that dialogue's going on, that two-way dialogue, Christ is revealed and Christ appears. If Christ does not appear, it's because you're not dialoguing. Oh, yeah. So, 
With that in mind, the title of this morning is Creating Spiritual Atmospheres because this isn't the dog with the bone. Because I know that we have to keep talking about this because every one of us must create a spiritual atmosphere. Why? By proclaiming Christ. There's many ways we proclaim Christ and there's many forms of how we we can do that. But this morning I want to bring you into a serious, serious, you'll see it, you'll see it as we go along. Jesus walked around teaching and proclaiming the kingdom. Did he not? He proclaimed the kingdom of God is near you. And there was many voices in his arena trying to say contradictive things. But he kept on keeping on proclaiming so that his father could be revealed. That's why he only said what the father was saying and he only did what the father was doing so that the right Christ, the right father could be presented. Does that make sense? Many people are saying a lot of things and they're presenting the wrong, a wrong idea, a wrong person to people. So people then think they've got this idea of Christ, but it doesn't line up with scripture. Bible says that there'll be other Christs. So we've got to make sure we proclaim the right one. And proclaim the right things about Christ. Don't proclaim your idea, your opinion, but use his name. You have to proclaim the right things about Christ. Because it's only those things he can work to. Amen? So he came talking about the kingdom. Why did he come talking about the kingdom? Because he knew the moment he talked about the kingdom, the kingdom would transform the atmosphere. There was already enough religious confusion in the atmosphere, contaminating and polluting and blinding the people. So the kingdom, as he was talking about the kingdom, the kingdom was about to open people's eyes and take him beyond Judaism. So the right proclamation stirred the atmosphere. You seen this? You go into a traditional church and talk about the kingdom, they'll think you've come off planet Mars. Because all they know is liturgy, form, incense, tradition. But you talk about Christ and the kingdom for many churches, they don't know what you're talking about. So Jesus began to talk about the kingdom. And Israel wanted the part of what Jesus was saying, they wanted to use Jesus for their own agenda. Because they wanted him to restore the kingdom. But not the kingdom he was talking about. They wanted him to restore the kingdom of Israel, but he was going to restore, or he was going to birth and manifest the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is different from the kingdom of Israel. And this dialogue was creating confusion and it was contaminating the atmosphere because there was two agendas on the earth. But Christ carried the agenda of his father, which was a kingdom agenda. You don't carry a political, a religious agenda. You carry a kingdom agenda. So you must understand what proclamations need to be made about the kingdom so that the kingdom can then manifest. Stop talking about church to your friends and talk about Christ. Christ is our proclamation. Christ crucified. Invite them to church, but don't, don't brag about your church. You're leading them to Christ, not to church. That's the problem. Church can't save anyone. Christ saves. Christ crucified. Christ rose again. Church didn't do nothing. He, it's his church, and he'll build it. It's amazing. Christ told us, Christ told us very clearly, I will build my church, stop fretting, pastors. But what he did tell the church is go and advance the kingdom. Two different roles. We're told to advance the kingdom, he will build the church. What do pastors do? The total opposite. <clears throat> so, in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, he says this, When they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? See, there's their agenda, right there. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates Excuse me, the father is set by his own authority. So very clearly, 
He knows their agenda. This is his own disciples. He knows their agenda. And he says, boys, let's cut that off right now. You need to stick with what I'm proclaiming. You need to stick with the Father's agenda. And the Father's agenda, despite what so many people think, it's not Israel. Israel's involved in the kingdom, but Israel's not the kingdom. Israel is grafted into the kingdom. Jew, there's neither Jew or Gentile. We're now grafted into the kingdom. But Israel's got a destiny, just like Great Britain's got a destiny. So we need to be very clear. Jesus was clear. It's not about Israel. It's about the kingdom. Yes? And the disciples, at this point in time, he cut off any potential wrong agendas. That will always have to happen. He could have turned around and said to him, May the 14th, 1948. He could have said that. That would have been so foreign to them to have heard him say, May the 14th, 1948. That's when Israel became a state. And now it's in a state. I'll get that one later on. <clears throat> he didn't say that. The only thing was on his mind was the kingdom. And he kept on proclaiming that because he knew by proclaiming this kingdom, this would empower the atmosphere and stir every devil in that territory. Now, I want you to keep that in mind, because where we're going, you're going to see it for yourself. How, what we proclaim will determine the atmosphere that we create. What we proclaim, who we proclaim, how we proclaim, will determine the atmosphere that we create over our lives. What we proclaim, who we proclaim, and how we proclaim, will determine the atmosphere we create over our lives. If you're creating a God, if you're speaking a God that never helps you or breaks through for you, guess what you're sowing over your life? It stands to reason. The kingdom is not about Israel, but Israel is included in the kingdom. So, John comes before Christ and he becomes, make, he comes with a proclamation. John comes and he previously been preaching repentance but John comes as a voice. Behind every proclamation, there has to be a voice. Write that down, that's good for you. Behind every proclamation, there has to be a voice. And that's you. That's me. Behind every proclamation, there has to be a voice. John came as a voice in the wilderness. John came proclaiming, repent, be baptized. For the kingdom is what? It's near. Oh, the kingdom is near you. It's in you. It's coming. He began to confront Judaism by this new proclamation. They came out in the desert to see him. They questioned him. They did a question time in the desert. Are you Elijah? No. Are you this? No. Are you this? No. John knew what it was about. He stuck with his proclamation. Very clear about his proclamation. So, John didn't carry the manifestation of the kingdom, but he proclaimed the message of Christ and his kingdom. Jesus carried the power and gave the power to you. Jesus carried the power of the kingdom and gave it to you. Jesus carried the power and gave it to you. So you could be the voice making the proclamation. He gave it to you. So to make Christ revealed... We need a proclamation. Behind every proclamation, there has to be a voice. The moment the voice finds the proclamation, the message, once you find your message and you begin to, to preach it, Christ is revealed, guess what happens then? The atmosphere starts to become reformed. When the atmosphere begins to be reformed, people begin to rise or begin to change. Or begin to stir, be stirred. You've got to understand the process to this. It's a process. It's not just a statement. It's got to come to life. We've got to find. We've got to put meat on this bone. We've got to, we've got to flesh it out in one, in one sense. And as the saints arise and things begin to change, slowly, little by little, you begin to transform a city or an environment. That's how it happens. Voice. Proclamation. Christ is revealed. When Christ is revealed, 
the church, the environment starts to become reformed. Then the saints arise. Then they go and transform the city. So, for this to happen, we need a game changer. Every one of us in here is a potential game changer. John was a game changer. Jesus was a game changer. Do you know what a game changer is? Someone who changes the rules. Someone who strengthens the environment. Someone who can change. Someone who had they not turned up, something different would have happened. Yes? Every environment is looking for a game changer. There are certain things in sport that happen because management, managers make certain decisions at certain moments and as they make those decisions, it alters the outcome of the game. All because someone saw the potential on their bench and they knew how to, uh, to put them onto the field at the right time. Game changer. A game changer. You're born for such a time as this. You're a game changer. God knows when to bring you onto the field. You wasn't born in 1845. Why? Because that wasn't your time. God, bought, God birthed you at the time that he believed that you could be the most significant. You're a game changer. You're a game changer. You see, Charles Dickens wrote this in The Great Expectation. As Dickens describes the events and process about bringing change. Now, it's deep what he's saying, but you've got to go beyond what he's just said and, and, and think a bit more. But this is what he initially said. That was a memorable day to me, for it made great changes in me. So there was a day when something happened in him. Yeah? But it's the same with any life. Imagine one selected day struck out of it and think how different its course would have been. Pause. You have read this and think for a moment of a long chain or iron of gold or thorns of flowers that would never have bound you but for the formation of the first link on a memorable day. It's about events, process, how one day something starts and it leads to something bigger. Yes, that's the game changing day. Something's changing in your life that's going to create you to become the ultimate game changer in your environment. Because our society needs game changers. I hope this phrase is, it can resonate with you. See, there's been many, many game changers, too many for me to mention throughout history. But let me just name a few. Let's start with the birth, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What a game changer. Why is it a game changer? Because no one's ever done it. No one will do it, nor can do it. But we can. Because the resurrection power is in us. We've already been hearing in authentic. Eternal judgment's not an issue for us. It's going to be for some people, but not for us. No one's ever had a virgin birth. He's the only man that was born sinless. Every other human being, sinful. He's a game changer. No one like him has ever entered this earth. Yeah? One came so many could come. He's a game changer. Do you think that constitutes him as a game changer? I do. Without shadow of a doubt. I'll give you another uh, game changing moment. 1783. The abolition of, of slavery. Yes, anti-slavery movement to abolish trade throughout the empire had begun in 1808. Parliament passed the Slave Trade Acts in 1807, which outlawed slave trade, but unfortunately it didn't outlaw slavery itself. But what a game changer. Serious, serious game changer. Thank God that that man proclaimed something, him with a bunch of other people. And they lobbied the British Parliament. Changed the game. Then he says in, it said it in 1530, William Tyndale, a game changer. Why? Because he took the Latin Bible and translated it into English from the original Hebrew and Greek. He went against popes. He became martyred. Why? So you and I could have a Bible. 
A printed Bible. That's a game changer. You and I now can walk into any store, get one off the internet. This Bible is because someone made it possible. Never mind the author. But what about the responsibility of the man to put it into print? Game changer. That's not, there's not only him. You could go through all the, the Reformation. A lot of game changers. Yeah? Now we take for granted the printing press, which was created in 1440. But now we have Tyndale Printing Publishers. So game changers. What about September the 28th, 1920? Quite a few things happened that year. Scientist Alexandra Fleming discovers penicillin. Needed for antibiotics. You all enjoy antibiotics. His discovery never did anything for me. I'm allergic to penicillin. But guess what? You all go to the doctors for antibiotics. It was a game changer. Now it's become not a game changer. Because people are relying on them too much. But it still is a game changer. Common things they destroyed all because of a breakthrough. Amen? It was said to you in 1895, Annabelle Serpentine's Dance. Would anyone know what that meant? That was the first colour film. The first colour film. A game-changing moment. It was said to you in 1927, the jazz singer, Al Johnson. The first, leech, uh, sorry, the first feature length film with sound. Game-changing moment. It was said to you, Steamboat Willie. 1928, the first animated film. With sound. Game changing moments. What have I said to you? 1928, Sir Frank Whittle, who submits his idea for a turbo jet to his superiors. Now we're all flying them. Yeah, now we're all flying them. What have I said to you? June the 20th, 1969, Apollo 11. Neil Armstrong. Now I know someone debate about that. I think it happened. You can debate that all you want. It happened. If it didn't happen then, it's happened since. <clears throat> and he turned around and he comes out with that comment. What does he say? One small step for, one giant step for, game-changing moment. Without a doubt. Now, now uh, <clears throat> space travel is becoming more and more obtainable. Is it? What's he called? Branston's now doing his own journey now. His tour's up there. April 2001 was the month of the very first iPod. MP3, Steve Jobs announced that this device could auto-sync with Macs and iTunes. First time ever. Game changer. Everybody had an iPod. What's an iPod? Forget it. Stick with your radio. It was a mobile radio. 1985. Here's a game changer. A company registers its first web domain, symbolics.com. All game-changing moments. What's he going to write about your history? Born 1961, dies whenever. Is that it? Are you going to have a game-changing moment? Are you going to create an atmosphere? Are you going to create an environment inside your own family first? Your own workplace can you do that? Can you be a game changer? Come on. All these and many more. We've had so many game changing moments in our society and in our history of mankind. You know, there's too many to talk about here. But we are a, na we are a nation and we are a people of game changing moments. Without game changing moments, we could not have become the people we have become. Is that fair to say? So in John chapter 1, verse 19, now John, now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and the Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, there's the proclamation, the voice behind the proclamation, but he confessed freely. I'm not the Christ. They asked him then, well then who the heck are you? Are you Elijah? He said, nope, I'm not. Are you a prophet? Uh, nope. Then finally they said, who are you? Give us an answer so that we can take it back to those who sent us. See, that's the pol pol uh, politics. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet. I, excuse me. I am the voice of the one calling in 
the desert. The voice comes before the proclamation. <clears throat> Make straight the way for the Lord. Now some Pharisees who had, who had been sent questioned him. Why do you baptize if you're not the Christ? Nor Elijah, nor the prophet. I baptize you with water, John replied. But among you stands one who you do not know. Now they were trying to politicize this. They were trying to spiritualize this. They were trying to get John on so many different angles because they were told that the one who comes must be Elijah. I've taught you about that before, so I'm not going down that road now. Here's what John was saying. He's a voice, but he's not the source of the voice. You're a voice, but you're not the source. You're not leading people to you. You're leading people to the source of the voice within you. Yes? John was saying, he is the messenger, but he's not the content. He's a messenger, but I'm not the content. The one who is in me is greater than he that is in the world. So the one in me is the content. Yes? He is the sat-nav guide of a Jewish nation, but he's not the final destination. John's voice was a guide. Guiding the people towards the things of God, but he wasn't the destination. He points the way, but he himself is not the way. Okay? He's powerful, yet he's unworthy to untie the sandals of Christ. He's powerful, but yet he's unworthy. Listen, never stop thinking that what you do is done by grace and mercy. He can lead you into repentance and into forgiveness, but he himself is unable to forgive your sin. Only Jesus can forgive your sin. This is why some of these guys who preach, honestly, at times think they're the Christ. You're a messenger. You're not the source. You're a gate. He baptizes with water, but there will be one who will baptize with power. John was very clear about what he was proclaiming. So must you. If you're not clear about what you're proclaiming, you'll create confusion in the atmosphere. Paul says, I know who I believe. I know what I believe and I am fully convinced. Right then. Some of the things are not happening in our lives because we make the proclamation. Yeah, John for sure was a game changer. Well, let me say this to you. Not all game changers are necessarily positive or celebratory. I'm going to show you now something you may never have seen before. Not all game changers are positive or celebratory. There was once upon a time when I worked in my factory when I was not a game changer. For positive instrument, I was a destructive Influence to the kingdom of God advancing in my factory. I ran, let's just say I ran, a, I offered a specific service to gentlemen that I should never have been involved in, but I offered it them because I could obtain those videos, videos at that time, not CDs. And I was making good money out of the guys in the factory. I remember one day God saying to me, you are a destructive force. Leave sin with sin and walk away. And that day, I did. I walked away. Remember God speaking to me as I got out of my car one day to go home. God said to me, leave sin with sin. You're a destructive force. And that's it. I turned my back on it. I went back into the factory. I gave all the videos to my friend. I gave all the money to him. They could not believe it. I had to begin to clean up the atmosphere that I contaminated. Some of you may have to go and do that. Some of the things that you talk about, how you talk, how you swear, you curse. You think it's joking, but it's wrong. Why? Because you're creating a wrong atmosphere over your life. Some of the conversations, the smutty conversations you join in with, you've got to clean up your act. Because it's not Christ-like. You're confusing the atmosphere. Christ can never break through in your life because of how you talk. Can't represent Christ like that, I'm sorry. You cannot win with your friends and yet stand up for Christ. 
I'm not saying be an enemy with your friends. Let the message divide whether you're an enemy or not. Or determine, I should say, whether you're an enemy or not. Just stand for Christ. So, Martin Luther. You all heard of Martin Luther? I don't mean the civil rights guy. I mean Martin Luther, the Protestant, the, uh, the Protestant monk. Yes? <clears throat> was he a hero or was he a villain? We were taught that Martin Luther is the hero. I'm going to present some facts to you today that will put him in a different light. Not all game changers are positive. Martin was a man who carried Christ, just like you. But we'll see how things went terribly wrong. Martin Luther was a German priest and a professor of theology, born in 1948. Sorry, 1483, what went about? 1483, where did I get that from then? What are you saying, Lord? He claimed that freedom from God's punishment cannot be be bought by money, but by the justification of faith. You can't buy salvation. It comes by faith. That's what he was saying. He vehemently opposed religious indulgences. Do you know what they are? So when the Catholic Church wanted to create money for for, uh, for more money to build its empire, to build its military force, they would bring these laws in to people and you had to pay. So in other words, can you get my husband out of hell? Well, if you pay us, we can get him out of hell and we can put him in purgatory. Can you, baptism was was an indulgence. So many things they created to appease the people and people had to pay for it. They were called indulgences. These were ripping the people off and creating, and they were, they were just literally screwing the people down to nothing. These people had nothing, and then they took more advantage of that. This is the Catholic Church. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me, he vehemently opposed religious indulgences. In 1517, he nailed 95 explanations, I'll call them. He nailed them to the Wittenberg Gate, and he was saying to the Pope and to the Catholic Church, have that. These were 95 reasons why you're, you're a bunch of hypocrites and you're in error. Now, can you imagine if you nailed 95 reasons why the Catholic Church is in error? Can you imagine the kind of backlash you're going to get? And boy, did they get backlash. 95 reasons. So right now, he's a hero. He's a game changer. He's opposing the religious beast, the religious machine. Yeah? He's a game changer. So he challenges Pope Leo X and the Roman Catholic Church. And they start, this started the beginning of Protestantism. Now, Protestantism means Protestant. Someone who's a Protestant is someone who protests what the Catholics were saying and doing. That's all it means. Right? So that's why you're a Protestant, because you disagree. Does that make sense? So the very fact that you disagree is going to create an atmosphere. It was a game-changing phrase. Hello? So now Martin Luther creates what we now know as Lutherisms. People who followed him were called Lutherans. You with it? So now he's created a movement without him even realizing it. So now, don't forget Martin starts as a voice. He finds his message. So at this point, he now marries, he marries, sorry, he marries Catherine von Bora. Yeah? Which is a game-changing moment. Why? Because priests are not allowed to marry. They've got to live a celebrate life. So now, he creates more confusion, and, or not confusion, heresy according to the Catholic perspective. Yes? That's why vicars are married, priests are not. Even to this day, which creates its own celibate life. Yeah? He sets a new model, a new pattern to follow in the church. Yeah? So, Luther charged and changed the atmosphere by his proclamation. Would you agree? In one moment, he's released anger. Frustration, rage against Protestant movement. How dare you? The Pope is the only one 
who can sanction and sanctify anything. The Pope is God on earth. That's the philosopher. That was the philosopher. And some Catholics still believe that today. Yeah? They're wrong. You know why? You're God's representation on the earth. You're the new priesthood. You're the priesthood of all believers. You're the peculiar people. You're a holy nation. You're the priesthood of believers, not them. We all are. Anyone who's in Christ. Anyone who's in Christ. Without uniform. I don't have a uniform on. True? So here's the key. Go to Isaiah chapter 6. Are you following this? You sure? Do you want to be a game changer? You sure? Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, everything starts with a... Come on, finish it off. Voice, stay with me. Please. Whom shall I send? There's a question. The voice from heaven is asking a question. Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? More than one person. A trinity is asking the question. And I said, here I am. Send me. He said, go and tell the people, be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of the people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. This is one heck of an assignment. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, well, for how long, O Lord? And he answered, until the cities lie in ruined, without inhabitants, until the houses are left deserted, and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away, and the land is utterly forsaken, and though a tenth remains in the land, sorry, a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. Terebinth, that should be. But as the terebinth and an oak leaves stumps, when they are cut down, so the holy seed will become a stump in the land. Can you imagine that becoming your assignment? Here I am, Lord, I'm ready to go. Send me. Okay, for how long? Well, okay, I'm going to paint the landscape for you. I'm going to paint your ministry for you. Now, let's just go through that very quickly. Who will go for us? It starts with a voice. Who will go? Here I am. That means the the replied response. Tell these people, be ever hearing but never understanding. Now, can you imagine speaking to an environment that they'll never, you'll always be speaking, but they'll never hear. Now, come on, I want you to pick this up. Because what I'm going to say next after this is going to put everything I'm saying in context. You're going to see what I'm saying. So stay with me. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. How would you feel if God told you to go and speak to your workplace, but they'll, you speak, but they'll never hear and they'll never understand? How would it make you feel? Come on. Right, deflated, frustrated, angry. I want to see some results. Okay, it gets worse. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Wow. But God, I want signs and wonders. I want miracles. Okay. He says, otherwise, they might see, hear and understand and turn and be healed. What, God, don't you love them? Don't you love them? Why are some nations so hard-hearted that in respect of the gospel they receive, they'll never turn? That's why God's sovereign. And you're not. God will determine the proclamation and who and the results from the proclamation. Okay? For how long? For how long comes Isaiah's question? Ah, I thought you'd ask us that. Until the cities lie ruined. Without inhabitants. Until the houses are left desolate. And the fields ruined and ravaged. Can you imagine? Until Manchester is completely on its knees. 
empty, no one's here. That's not the deal I'm signed up for because I'm a kingdom man. This is kingdom. No, 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 Lord. I believe our church will grow. I've got a vision for a thousand people. How come a vision's never for 657? How come it's always a thousand? You don't get to choose the number of your congregation. You don't. The issue is this. Is if you're going to be a proclamation, you don't determine the results. The proclamation will determine the results. It'll either hard some people's hearts or it'll soften them. It'll either turn them against you or it'll turn them towards you. Hello? But as the terebinth and oak leaves stumps, when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be a stump in the land. Now God is asking Isaiah to proclaim a message to a hard-hearted, stubborn, deaf, dumb, nationed people. Do you know any people like that? You like that at times, and I'm like that at times. You are the one carrying and proclaiming the message. You have to charge the atmosphere, but the results will uh, will determine themselves. But once an atmosphere is stirred, whoa, all hell can can be let loose and all heaven can be let loose. All hell can be let loose and all heaven can be let loose just by a proclamation. This is why living the days of heaven on earth starts with a voice, starts with a proclamation. Israel is not the point of God's focus. She is a part of his heart. She's very much part of his heart. She is not the main focus. Just like some of the things that you focus on and give attention to is not God's focus. You must pick up the emphasis of heaven and learn to put your voice behind the emphasis of heaven. If you're smart, you'd have wrote that down. You must learn to pick up the emphasis of heaven and put your voice and your proclamation behind the emphasis. So here's the issue. You ready? Israel is not the point of God's focus, but the Jew is. Why? Because the Jew still needs winning. The Jew still needs winning. Think about that. Britain is not at the center of God's focus, but the people of Britain are. God's dying for people. The people. For God so loved the world. He didn't mention a nation, did he? He mentioned the world. So here's the thing. Martin Luther could not understand that. Luther's now going to encounter the same response and reactions as Isaiah did. But what's the difference? So now he's been preaching. Luther's been talking about the just shall live by faith. He's now got the whole Catholic church against him. And this Protestant movement is now created. He's stirring the atmosphere. It's positive. He's ripping the seat, the power seat out of the Catholic Church. He's turning it on itself. But then he goes to the Jews. He wants to proclaim his gospel to the Jews. And what does he find? He finds stubborn, rebellious, hard-hearted people. The same people that Isaiah finds. The same people. But the difference is, the spirit in the men are different. Watch this. The spirit in the men are different. And now Luther gets written in history as something completely different. Isaiah is always the hero. But Luther now turns from hero to villain. Watch. You ready for this? I said, are you ready for this? Because this is going to be the key part. In an essay written in 1523, entitled, Jesus was born, was not born a Jew, Luther said, if I'd have been a Jew, I would sooner than become a hog than a Jew. Why? Because he simply thought that the Jews would convert to mass because of his, ministry, because of his message. 
A lot of people were now flocking to Luther's ministry, but the Jews didn't want anything to do with it. And because they wouldn't come to his message, he begins to get frustrated and embittered, and then his proclamation changes. This is why whenever you can't forgive people, your heart changes, your proclamation changes. Your voice gets contaminated. Why? Your heart gets contaminated. Your voice gets contaminated. Can't say it. Contaminated. Your proclamation. Yes? Heart, voice, proclamation. So, because they simply thought that I've got the message. I am the way. I'm the truth now. You should just accept this message. But the Jews had bigger history than he did. So, he initially said, I would ask that you deal gently with the Jews and instruct them gently from Scripture that they may come along and we should deal with them in love. Does that sound good? But then his attitude changes. Luther became irritated and disillusioned. And in 1556, he complained of the Jews being stubborn. Yeah? And in 1530, he endorses the common evil stereotype of the Jews that refer to them as iron-hearted and stubborn as the devil. That's what he says. By the time of his life, Luther had turned against the Jews with vengeance. Listen. And in 1543, he wrote a pamphlet concerning the Jews and their lies. And this is what he said to them. There are miserable and cursed people. They're stupid fools. They're miserable, they're blind, they're senseless, they're thieves, they're robbers, they're great vermin of humanity, they're lazy rogues, and they're blind and venomous. Now he's sowing this into the atmosphere. He's opening the door for evil spirits to begin to move on his words. Think of this going to get worse in a minute he's now sown something into the atmosphere by his voice by his proclamation are you getting this having demoralized and demonized them he makes he makes some startling proposals for dealing with them you're going to see the picture as we go along watch their synagogues and schools should be burned down their houses completely destroyed their Talmudic writings be confiscated, their rabbis forbidden to teach, their money taken from them, and they be compelled into forced labor. Does this sound like a Christian? Well spotted. His dislike for the Jewish people is causing and creating his proclamation to get more and more evil. All because... He's not being accepted. <coughs> Did Isaiah say anything like that? Did you ever heard Isaiah say anything like that? No. Because Isaiah, I captured God. <coughs> God had told Isaiah, this is what's going to happen. They're not going to receive. But Luther thinks, I'm a preacher. I'll force the results. So now... Now I don't know about sorry, now I don't know about you, but he sounds pretty ticked. He sounds pretty frustrated. Why? Because he's become result driven. He's become result driven. As if the kingdom relied just upon him. But let's cut him some slack. Because he did have that revelation. And he was ahead above many. And God, you, this is, you've got to see the sovereignty of God. How God can use an instrument for good and for bad. You have to see this. See, we're, we're known for having a promiscuous life and God uses, uh, God uses that and changes us so we can have a testimony. But what happens when you start off good and then bad? You're not used to that, are you? But do you think God knew that? Well, he used Judas, didn't he? Judas is the classic example. <coughs> All these are facts. 
This is not my opinion. This is facts. This is history. Okay? This is not the Luther I was taught in school. Of course not. So, in their rise to power, as Julie's quite observantly seen, the Nazis, the Germans, gleefully quoted Luther in their rise to power. Hitler referred to Luther in his book, Mein Kampf, as a great warrior and a true statesman and a great reformer. Whoa. In 1924, at the Christian gathering in Berlin, Hitler spoke to thousands of Christians and received a standing ovation. Then he made the following proclamation. I believe that today, this is Hitler, I am acting in accordance with the will of Almighty God. Just pause there. Hitler's saying this. Why? As I announced the most important work that Christians could ever undertake, and that is to be against the Jew. And get rid of them once and for all. Woo! Hitler then proceeds to talk about the influence that Martin Luther has upon his life. So because he sold something. How many years ago is that? 400 years? 400 years. 300, not whatever you want to call it. 300 odd years later, Hitler is using him as his inspiration to exterminate Jews. So for 300 years, that lay there in the atmosphere. Come on. It lay there in the atmosphere, waiting for someone to pick up. And now the, he tries to justify his actions by what Luther had said. Luther, I'm sure, if he ever thought, if he could see now in history what he created. So, this is what he says. Martin Luther has been the greatest encourager of my life. Luther was a great man, a great man, a giant for her. As the, window, sorry, as the wind blew, he heralded in the coming of a new dawn, a new proclamation, a new age. For he saw the Jews needed to be destroyed. We are just beginning to see that we need to carry out his work. Wow. Can you see how powerful this is? Creating spiritual atmospheres. Creating spiritual atmospheres. So when you saw the intensity of the concentration camps, you see the intensity of Holocaust, I want you to always think that started out long before them. Something lay in the atmosphere for 300 odd years. All because one man could not get the results he wanted on the ground. Ooh. Are you with me? You sure? So... At the Nuremberg war crime trials, Julius Stryker defended himself by saying, I have never, never done nor said anything that Martin Luther did not say. They're all quoting him. They're all quoting him. You can see I've been busy this week, can't you? Eliezer Berkovich in 1908, sorry, in 1909, between... 08 and 1992 said this and this is a sad indictment <clears throat> the holocaust was due to the moral bankruptcy of christian civilization and the spiritual bankruptcy of christian religion think of that the holocaust was due the result the cause the instigator of moral bankruptcy and of christian civilization civilization sorry and the spiritual bankruptcy of christian religion Neither one got their acts together. Neither one. So, in conclusion, Noah preached, and not one convert came to Noah. But never did we see Noah sow discord, bitterness, or anger from his words. Would you agree? Isaiah preached to that nation under those circumstances, but never do we record, do we hear, do we see anger, frustration, or bitterness coming through his words. Okay? Nehemiah received as a child the mandate to go and rebuild the nation, to tear down nations, uproot them. He then 
sorry, that's Jeremiah, sorry. Um, Nehemiah gets, receives the mandate to go and rebuild the walls. Sorry, I've got mis- the names mixed up. And as he goes, he finds opposition from Sambala and Tobiah. But never once did you hear him sow negative bitterness or frustration towards the people who came against him. Lastly, Jesus hung on a cross, suffering scorn and shame from the sins of the world. But never once did he sow frustration, discord, or bitterness. He sowed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's possible to stand in the midst of opposition. It's possible to work in an environment that you don't like and still get your proclamation right. It's possible to be criticized, to not get the results you want. That is not the reason or the excuse for you stopping proclaiming. Just because you don't get the results you want. All these men that we just read about, with the exception of Luther, stood with an assignment, proclaim. That's your assignment this morning, is to develop, find your voice. With your voice, find the proclamation. Find the emphasis of heaven. Wherever you are, stick to that proclamation. And whether you get results or you don't, that's not your issue. Signs and windows, sign the windows, signs and wonders, last time I read my Bible, follow the preaching of the word. So if they follow, what comes first? Right, so let the word bring its own results. But the issue is, whether you get no results or not, will you witness? I'm going to read one scripture. I'm going to leave this on your, your radar because next week we're going to pick this up. Game changers. Being a game changer can cause you to become a hero or a villain. It depends how history will label you. You can either be labeled as anti-Semitic. You can be labeled as a great, great witness. Person who demonstrated Christ in every way, shape and form. Or you can just be a person who works where you work and there's no proclamation. You choose. But in Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. But you will receive power. Okay. When the Holy Ghost comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. You. Me. Will be witnesses. Where? Wherever we're planted. Jerusalem, Judea. Samaria, or to the ends of the earth. But you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. I will have a voice. I will have a proclamation on this earth. I will find someone who will be a witness on this earth. And the Holy Ghost will come to give you the power to do it. Jesus sent the Holy Ghost to us so we would have that power. Luther did not have that power. John the Baptist didn't have that power. Why? Because the Holy Ghost hadn't been poured out. Luther had, he started well, but then finished strong, uh, finished wrongly. Let that not happen to you. Can you see how our history has been shaped by a game changer? No one ever talks about Luther in this light. Have you ever heard about Luther in this light? Now you've seen him in a different light. Learn from his lesson. Learn from it. Let's stand to our feet. Hopefully this has been inspiring. Hopefully this has been a game-changing moment for you. To see how you must find your voice. You say, well, I'm not, I'm not aggressive towards Jews. It's not about Jews. You've missed the point. We love Jews. We love all nations. None gets more favor than anyone else. We love Jesus more than anybody else. And our love for Jesus compels us to go out to the lost. Let's look at just people as lost. And then we've got them all in the same light. Yeah? Let's look at them attracting people who are trapped in darkness. Those territorial spirits 
are still active today. This, this, this anti-Semitic vibe that's in the atmosphere is a leftover from what Luther started. And racism and all the other things that come because someone said something. Someone spoke up somewhere and spoke out. And their message gathered momentum. And then spirits used that for feeding and festing over atmospheres. That's why you have the power to speak out. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against powers, spiritual powers in the dark. Everyone knows why they're there, because they influence the masses. They influence the masses. So right now, put your hand on your heart, if you will. Say, Father, my tongue will be an instrument of righteousness. Help me to discover my voice. Help me to discover the emphasis and proclaim it with boldness, courage, faith. Father, you said that signs and wonders will follow. I'm leaving the results up to you, Lord. I will lay hands on the sick. I will proclaim when I have the opportunity the goodness of God. And I believe I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Guide me this week, Lord. Make me aware of opportunities. Establish me where I need to be established. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a standing ovation. God bless you.